Welcome to Crime, Corruption, and Cocktails, the true crime podcast where we look at cases of corruption and negligence and examine their historical and cultural implications. Today, I'm drinking a peach iced tea white claw. What are you having, Jenny? I'm drinking Pinot Grigio, and we're starting off another themed month today. For the month of May, all of our episodes will be about scammers, con artists, fraud, and fraudsters. In this episode, we're exploring the life of Elizabeth Holmes and her failed startup, Theranos. Elizabeth Holmes was born on February 3rd, 1984 in Washington, D.C. Her father was vice president of Enron, another company with an infamous financial scandal, and her mother was a congressional committee staffer. Holmes's parents spent much of their careers as bureaucrats on Capitol Hill, but, quote, they were very interested in status and lived for connections, end quote. Holmes grew up in D.C. and Houston, Texas. At age nine, she told her family that she wanted to be a billionaire when she grew up. Holmes had a quote-unquote intense competitive streak from a young age. She often played Monopoly with her younger brother and cousin and would insist on playing until the end, collecting the houses and hotels until she won. If Holmes was losing, she would often storm off. Holmes spent time in China during high school, and while she was there, she started a business selling computer software to universities in Asia. After graduating high school in Houston, Holmes studied electrical and chemical engineering at Stanford University. During a summer break from her studies at Stanford, Holmes took a job at the Genome Institute of Singapore to work on a computer chip designed to detect the presence of the SARS virus in the body. Upon her return to Stanford, Holmes patented a device that attached to a person's body and measured the effectiveness of a given medication by comparing parameters of chemical markers produced by a diseased region of those of the therapeutic agent. In the spring of 2004, during her sophomore year, Holmes dropped out of Stanford. She would later say that she left Stanford after being raped in 2003. Holmes used her tuition money to fund a consumer healthcare technology company, Real-Time Cures. The company was devoted to developing minimally invasive laboratory testing services and quote-unquote democratizing healthcare. It was soon renamed to Theranos, a portmanteau of therapy and diagnosis. When Holmes shared her idea to harvest, quote, vast amounts of data from a few droplets of blood derived from the tip of a finger, end quote, with professors and expert medical professionals, they told her it would be impossible. Phyllis Gardner, a professor of medicine at Stanford in particular, told Holmes that her idea wouldn't work because it was, quote, impossible to get a precise result from the tip of a finger for most of the tests that Theranos would claim to conduct accurately, end quote. Holmes pressed on and eventually her advisor, Channing Robertson, and the dean of the Stanford School of Engineering supported her. Holmes thought lab diagnostic testing was dated and hadn't changed much since the 1950s. LabCorp and Quest Diagnostics had had a somewhat of a monopoly on the diagnostic industry for decades in the U.S. Their prices were high and both companies lacked transparency with patients, which led to many lawsuits. Traditional blood testing relied on drawing 5 to 10 milliliters of blood through a large needle to fill one tube for each test requested by a physician. 
that process was often painful for patients and was costly for insurance carriers. And experts worried that the procedure had dissuaded patients who were young, elderly, or possessed a genuine fear of needles from getting their blood work done in a timely manner. Holmes wanted to create low-cost diagnostics that would help with early detection and prevention, an easier form of lab work for people who were scared of needles, and a system that allowed patients to order their own blood work. From 2003 to 2014, Holmes grew Theranos by securing funding from investors including Rupert Murdoch and U.S. Treasury Secretary Henry Schultz. Building infrastructure and developing the company's proprietary processes in secret, she convinced investors to fund hundreds of millions of dollars without showing them audited financial statements. Holmes had no background in business, but she moved financiers with her story, passion, and confidence. Because of that, she was able to get people to trust her. She also made it a point to align herself with powerful older men who was easily charmed by her and could potentially get government contracts. Theranos had hundreds of staff members and Holmes was part of the hiring process for everyone. She routinely worked until midnight. She ate all of her meals at the office and claimed to only have bottled water in her fridge and a mattress in her apartment. Holmes only wore black in order to give energy to her work and not have to think about clothes, just like her idol Steve Jobs. She had multiples of the same shirts. A Theranos lab assistant said it was hard to get an idea of who she was, but she idolized Holmes at the same time, especially being a woman in tech. Holmes was described as intense and passionate. Investors and colleagues called her a genius and visionary who could change the world. Around this time, Holmes began a romantic relationship with IT entrepreneur Ramish Sunny Bantwari. They met in 2002 when Holmes was 18 and Sunny was 37 and began dating the following year after Sunny divorced his wife. They moved in together in 2005 and Sonny joined Theranos in 2009 when he became their chief operating officer. In 2012, Safeway invested $350 million into retrofitting 800 locations with clinics that would offer in-store blood tests. After many missed deadlines and questionable results from a trial clinic at Safeway's corporate offices, the deal was terminated in 2015. Theranos was extremely secretive about their work. Holmes said they wanted to get things done before they talked about them publicly. She accepted funding on the condition that she would not divulge to investors how her technology actually worked and that she had final say and control over every aspect of her company. This scared off some investors. When Google Ventures, which focuses more than 40% of its investments on medical technology, tried to perform due diligence on Theranos to weigh an investment, Theranos never responded. There were no press releases or even a company website until 2013 when U.S. drug store chain Walgreens announced that it had partnered with Theranos to establish blood collection centers and 40 Walgreens pharmacies in Arizona. Theranos claimed to have developed a laboratory testing process 
that could run more than 200 medical tests on an individual after collecting only a few drops of blood from a finger prick that could tell if someone was sick within minutes. The procedure was shown to be far less painful and costly than traditional testing. The blood collection vessel was called the nanotainer, and the machine was called the Edison, after one of Holmes' heroes, Thomas Edison. The Edison was essentially a lab within a box. With this technology, Theranos would revolutionize medical data collection and the healthcare industry as a whole. Theranos maintained that it was improving laboratory blood collection and testing by miniaturizing and automating the process. By 2014, Theranos had provided more than 200 diagnostic tests, was licensed to operate in almost all 50 U.S. states, and held a certification from the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the federal regulator overseeing medical laboratories. Theranos was estimated to be worth $9 billion, and Holmes was listed by Forbes as one of America's richest self-made women in 2015, with a net worth of $4.5 billion. Media attention around Holmes and Theranos increased, yet the company remained quiet about their technology. Even when Holmes was interviewed for a cover story by Fortune magazine, she gave a vague description of how the Edison machine worked and did not want the journalist to give a description of what the machine even looked like. During 2015, Holmes established agreements with Cleveland Clinic, Capital Blue Cross, and AmeriHealth Caritas to use Theranos technology. In July 2015, the Food and Drug Administration approved the use of the company's finger stick blood testing device for the herpes simplex virus outside a clinical laboratory setting. Theranos was named the 2015 Bioscience Company of the Year by the Arizona Bioindustry Association. However, Theranos was not as successful and cutting edge as they let on. In early 2015, Stanford professor John Ioannidis wrote in the Journal of the American Medical Association that no peer-reviewed research from Theranos had been published in medical research literature. A few months later, University of Toronto professor Eleftherios Diamidis reviewed Theranos technology including and concluded that, quote, most of the company's claims are exaggerated, end quote. Hoping to boost the company's credibility, Holmes invited the then U.S. Vice President Joe Biden to tour their facility. Biden praised what he saw, but to conceal the lab's true operating conditions, Holmes and Sonny had created a fake lab for the vice president's tour. That same year, John Kerry Rue, a healthcare reporter for the Wall Street Journal, initiated a secret months-long investigation of Theranos after he received a tip from a medical expert who thought that the Edison machine seemed suspicious. Kerry Rue spoke to ex-employee whistleblowers and obtained company documents. His article, published in 2015, exposed claims that the machine's results were unreliable and that Theranos had been using commercially available machines made by other manufacturers for most of its testing rather than their Edison testing machine. Former Theranos staff shared that the Edison worked poorly. It would freeze, pieces would fall off during testing, and blood would spill within the machine. Staff said that the machines needed to be much larger to properly perform tests, and when they tried explaining that to higher-level staff, they were told that they didn't believe in the company's goal. 
Techs were essentially encouraged to alter test results, throwing out data points, and retry until the results were what they wanted. Patients usually received incorrect test results for infectious diseases and serious illnesses like hepatitis, syphilis, and prostate cancer. Lab techs admitted in the 2019 documentary Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley that they didn't feel comfortable running the tests on themselves. Employees claimed there was a culture of secrecy and paranoia at Theranos that led to communication difficulty between departments. Holmes and Sonny had their own security personnel and Holmes' office had bulletproof glass. Staff were constantly being monitored and staff that left the company were sometimes intimidated and threatened with litigation. They had to sign non-disclosure agreements and during the interview process, they were given vague information on what their jobs would entail. One staffer said that there were two worlds at Theranos, the carpeted world where Holmes was a goddess and the tiled world where no one trusted her judgment and felt like it was a sinking ship. Shockingly, staff also shared that during a demonstration of the Edison for executives and board members, their sampled blood was put into the machine and then taken out and brought back to the lab for testing, all while the executive was given a tour or taken to lunch. Holmes and Sonny gathered staff and said the allegations were not true and that they would fight the Wall Street Journal. Holmes denied all the claims calling the Wall Street Journal a quote-unquote tabloid and promising the company would publish data on the accuracy of its tests. She appeared on CNBC's Mad Money the same evening the article was published and said, quote, This is what happens when you work to change things. First, they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world, end quote. Carrie Rue was scheduled to meet with Holmes, but was instead met by a team of seven lawyers, which further raised his suspicions. Following the story, the history of FDA interactions with Theranos was scrutinized. The FDA have received a formal inquiry to look at Theranos blood test device by the U.S. Department of Defense in 2012 before the devices were commercially available and did not require FDA approval. No scientist could credibly vouch for Theranos. Under Holmes's direction, the secretive company had barred other scientists from writing peer-reviewed papers on its technology. The Walgreens expansion highlighted many issues within Theranos. It was revealed that during the Walgreens rollout, patient samples, usually taken by a needle and not a finger prick as advertised, were sent to the Palo Alto headquarters of Theranos, where a lab was created. When the lab director quit, they replaced him with a dermatologist. It was claimed that Holmes lied about the number of finger pricks being taken by patients. One year into the partnership, testing was predominantly done through the traditional vena puncture method. A phlebotomist hired by Theranos to train Walgreens staff on their techniques that Theranos didn't give any explanation as to why they weren't using finger pricks. She was told to tell patients that because of tests their doctors wanted, they needed more tests and more blood. In January 2016, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, sent a warning letter to Theranos after a surprise inspection of its Newark, California laboratory uncovered irregularities with staff proficiency, procedures, and equipment. Holmes said in an interview that she didn't know about any violations until investigation. 
and that she was, quote, devastated that they didn't catch them sooner, end quote. A few months later, CMS banned Holmes from operating a blood testing service for two years after issues in the lab were not fixed. Shortly after that, Walgreens ended its partnership with Theranos. Sonny left Theranos that same year, although it is unclear if he left voluntarily or was fired by Holmes. Later that year, the FDA banned the use of the nanotamer. In May 2016, Theranos announced that it had voided two years of results from its Edison device. Lawsuits piled up and partners began to cut ties. In 2017, Theranos signed a consent decree with the Arizona Attorney General over violation of the Arizona Consumer Fraud Act. By then, Theranos had spent almost all of the $900 million it had raised. $300 million went to legal fees and refunding patients. In March 2018, Holmes settled civil charges from financial regulators that she had fraudulently raised $700 million from investors. But three months later, she was arrested along with Sonny on criminal charges of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. In June 2018, following an investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office, for the Northern District of California in San Francisco, a federal grand jury indicted Holmes and Sonny on nine counts of wire fraud and two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. Both pleaded not guilty. Prosecutors alleged that Holmes and Sonny engaged in two criminal schemes, one to defraud investors, the other to defraud doctors and patients. After the indictment was issued, Holmes stepped down as CEO of Theranos, but remained chair of the board. That same year, Theranos dissolved. In 2019, Holmes became engaged to 27-year-old Billy Evans, heir to the Evans Hotel Group. Though the couple wed in 2019, it's unclear if they are legally married. Holmes gave birth to their son in July 2021. The trial finally began in late August 2021 after delays from COVID-19 and Holmes' pregnancy. Holmes testified in self-defense for seven days, claiming, among other things, that she was misled by her staff about the technology and that Sonny was emotionally and sexually abusive at the time of her alleged crimes. The prosecution's evidence outlined Holmes' role in faked demonstrations, falsified validation reports, misleading claims about the contracts, and overstated financials at Theranos. Her attorneys had said she should not face prison time on the grounds that she was not a danger to society, but prosecutors argued that she was quote-unquote blinded by ambition, which put, quote, and will continue to put people in harm's way, end quote. In court filings, they stated, quote, she accepts no responsibility, quite the opposite. She insists she is the victim, end quote. In January 2022, Holmes was convicted of three counts of wire fraud and one count of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. The jury found her not guilty on four other charges and could not reach a verdict on three more. Sonny's trial began in March 2022, and he was convicted of 12 counts of fraud in July 2022. In December of that year, he was sentenced to 12 years and 11 months in prison and three years of probation. 
Following Holmes's conviction, Holmes and Evans allegedly attempted to escape, according to prosecutors, when they bought one-way plane tickets to Mexico. Holmes's legal team said the tickets were purchased with the hope the outcome of the case would have been different and that she canceled her ticket after losing the case. In November of 2022, she was sentenced to 11 years and three months in prison and was ordered to surrender by April 27, 2023. It was revealed via a court filing in February 2023 that Holmes had given birth to her second child. The court filing also stated that as a reasoning for delaying the start of her sentence. In early April 2023, Holmes lost her bid to remain free during an appeals process and must report to prison by April 27th as previously ordered. As of the time of this recording, Holmes has about 10 days left to surrender herself. Del, what are your thoughts on Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos? I think that Holmes is a prime example of someone that had all the right intentions, but unfortunately that led her to lie and cheat and defraud a lot of people out of a lot of money. And more importantly, give false hopes to patients and doctors that there was going to be a more efficient way of diagnosing them with whatever ailment they were suffering from. I think that she was suspicious from the beginning, though, and people were telling her that this was impossible, but I think that she was just blinded by her own hubris especially when you think of the fact that she was, as a child, telling her family that she was going to be a billionaire. And if you look at the story of many people across Silicon Valley, a lot of them go through very nefarious and fraudulent means to achieve that first billion. And it's definitely the case with Holmes that she was very charming. She was very persuasive And I think that her being a woman likely aided her in her pursuits. A lot of times when you watch documentaries about her, when people are asked, well, you know, she didn't have an experience. Why did you believe her? They go back to not thinking that someone that looked like her could be defrauding them. And I definitely think that she played up on that. I'm happy that she was actually convicted, though I will say with her convictions, it's definitely not a good thing that they really focused on how she defrauded investors and not how she defrauded patients. I think that just speaks to the criminal justice system and its primary focus of making sure that if you harm Wall Street, You're punished, but if you harm regular citizens, they don't take that as seriously, and that's definitely not a good thing. I don't know how much of her sentence she's actually going to serve, but I am happy that they're not allowing her to have even more time of freedom. I definitely think that she needs to be behind bars along with Sonny. I don't know what to believe when it comes to her claims that she was being manipulated because she retained so much control over the course of her career, it's hard to think that somewhere in the background, someone else was being a puppet master and 
controlling what she was doing and manipulating the situation. I just don't believe that. It doesn't fit in with any of the evidence and the eyewitness testimonies as to her behavior during that time. Uh, What are your thoughts on her and Theranos? I totally agree with everything you said. It stinks because she was well-intentioned, maybe naive, especially since so many people did tell her this is truly physically impossible to do. It wasn't like they were just saying, we don't believe in you. It's physically impossible to do the stuff that Theranos wanted to do. And if she could have accepted that and, I don't know, maybe worked toward developing something at least that would make the system better because I think she did identify like a pretty valid concern within like lab work in the healthcare industry and she wanted to fix that and I admire that but definitely just blinded by ambition probably greed I'm sure she felt a lot of pressure on her from the investors and her family and I think she was probably like in too deep at a certain point to me it's definitely one of those stories where I don't know if she was just lying to herself so much that she believed her own lies or what, because she definitely, there is no way that she didn't know what was going on. Like you said, the evidence shows exactly, she knew exactly what was going on and was trying to sneak around it. And that's what I don't like. The Just the outright lying and accusations against anyone that didn't support her somehow. I don't buy that. And the way that Theranos treated their employees when they left, like we said, like just constantly intimidating them, just the state of paranoia is so bizarre. And to me, that shows that you knew something was up and you were going to be outed and you didn't like that. I hope she serves a good amount of her sentence because I kind of see her as someone that will go on to do something like this again. I don't know who would be naive enough to believe her, but who knows? She definitely was going to run away. If you ask me with that plane ticket situation, it's ridiculous. And I do agree. I don't necessarily believe what she had alleged happened between her and Sunny and their relationship, partly because, and who knows, we're not in the relationship with them. But in the one documentary I watched, the one that's on HBO, People had said that, I hate to use this term, but Elizabeth wore the pants in the relationship and Sonny didn't. And of course, that's not to say that he couldn't be abusive when the doors were closed, but I don't know. I don't really believe that. I wanted to ask, what do you think of her voice, Del? Because I know that's like a very controversial aspect of Elizabeth Holmes' life, this very deep voice that I think is fake. I 100% agree with you. I think it's a fake voice. There's been recordings that have been released that shows her having a typical feminine voice. I know that a lot of times people have talked about her having that voice because people were going to take her more seriously, but investors did come out later and point that they kind of ignored that aspect of her, that they did find it weird, but it was kind of a part of her mystique and mystery. was like, hmm, what does she actually sound like under that obviously fake voice. I bet at this point she has probably hurt her throat so much having to keep up with that voice. Though 
employees did come out later and say that a lot of times uh, when she wasn't being recorded, she would just use a regular speaking voice. How about you? It's so ridiculous. And it just adds to like the craziness of this story. It's definitely fake. And you can look up videos of her talking in like a regular voice. And then this, I think you had said that, Del. I encourage everyone to do that if you haven't heard her voice. It's very distinct. And I feel like that should have been a little bit of like a red flag to these investors. Like, who is this person? Like, what is this facade that they're putting on? Very strange to me. But she really did idolize like Steve Jobs. And I don't know, does he have a a deeper voice? I can't. I don't remember, but it seemed like she really had to create this image of busy businesswoman tech lady to think she needed to be taken seriously. I wanted to say real quick, too, that Theranos has really hurt like the blood diagnostic industry as a whole. And other companies have said that because of Theranos, a lot less investors, I guess, are willing to invest in them right now. And because of that, technologies that could have been saving lives much sooner is like not out or not really being worked on and invested in. So it's really a shame that this whole thing happened, to say the least. As perhaps the most documented case of startup fraud in recent memory, Theranos has become the proverbial fallen unicorn in Silicon Valley. Many believe that Theranos highlights systemic problems with startup culture and culture in Silicon Valley. And it's not unusual to hype your product up or overpromise. According to Town and Country magazine, quote, a company like Theranos, where the technology to back up the idea simply never existed, was still able to get away with the deception for years. That's because Silicon Valley has always encouraged entrepreneurs to move fast and break things, or at least to move fast and figure things out later. End quote. And I think that last sentence is a quote from Mark Zuckerberg. Another like Silicon Valley startup kind of guy. Margaret O'Mara, author of The Code, Silicon Valley and the Remaking of America, said, quote, if you are a young startup in development with a barely existent product, a certain amount of swagger and hustle is expected and encouraged, end quote. Especially during early days of a startup, investors are looking at people and ideas rather than substantive data and technology. People tend to think that the technology will come with the right concept and the right people to make it work. In Silicon Valley, the line between fraud and merely playing into the faking it culture is very thin. Venture capitalist Roger McNamee said, quote, Theranos was an early warning of a cultural shift in Silicon Valley that has allowed promoters and scoundrels to prosper, end quote. And he is a critic of big tech and did not invest in Theranos when it was presented to him. He believes that a culture of secrets and lies in Silicon Valley, a culture that allowed Theranos to go unanalyzed, is quote-unquote absolutely endemic. For investors, trying to separate the fake from the revolutionaries is a constantly evolving challenge. In Silicon Valley, intellectual property is closely guarded. Secrecy is important for these companies to succeed, but that culture of secrecy can also be used as a smokescreen, particularly when even employees and investors don't understand or aren't given access to the technology itself. This makes it difficult for whistleblowers to come forward. 
High-profile investors often assume that early-stage funders have done their research and trust the company. In 2018, there were a few other high-profile downfalls for legitimate companies. Uber founder Travis Kalanick and WeWork founder Adam Newman were both forced out of their own startups in the wake of dramatic financial collapses that revealed how wildly overvalued they were. Uber and WeWork are highly successful products by most standards, and yet overambitious growth and reckless amoral leadership almost destroyed both of them. Actor Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who played Kalanick in a TV series, said, quote, if your company achieves profitability and is doing pretty good, you won't get venture capital investment. The economy doesn't reward that kind of success. It rewards unicorns, end quote. There's essentially a race to be extraordinary. Being a female CEO in Silicon Valley gave Holmes an instant unicorn factor that explains in part how she was able to convince so many. It's important to also mention that company culture often rewards traits related to narcissism. This likely plays a role in creating toxic workplace environments at these companies. Both Kalanick and Newman were accused of fostering a toxic, hard-partying corporate culture rife with misconduct. As we mentioned, former Theranos employees have described a culture of isolation, retaliation, and fear. This allegedly drove at least one core staffer, Ian Gibbons, to suicide. So what are your thoughts on this explanation of startup culture and Silicon Valley? Yeah, it's definitely one of the biggest stereotypes of startups. And you see it across the board. And I think that's one thing that separates startups from other successful businesses is that ability to shift from we will do anything to set ourselves apart to we are a legitimate business that is trying to produce a product or give services to our clients. I think that not just with Uber and WeWork, you've seen this at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these different companies that, like we said before, are seen as successful, yet their leadership are individuals that place being the unicorn, being the unique company ahead of actually doing what's right for the long-term growth of the business and for the workers and making sure that they have a safe and healthy work environment to be able to produce the products and services of that company. I'm not surprised that companies like Uber and WeWork have those toxic uh, leadership structures. It's definitely a thing where the newer their technology and the more unique it is, you do harbor those individuals that see themselves as sort of gods of technology and think that they can do no wrong and are never going to be held accountable for their misdeeds. You often hear that narcissism can go one of two ways. You know, you can be a business leader or you could be a serial killer. And this definitely plays into that where 
a lot of the traits that we see in CEOs of the Silicon Valley companies lends itself to people who don't really have a care for other individuals and are just looking to get themselves ahead. Again, that is at the expense of real people. And it's something that hopefully will change. But Unfortunately, it seems like the culture of Silicon Valley is to continue to go fast and break things. And if you come around to fixing, you come around to fixing it. But unfortunately, a lot of times they don't care if it's not having a significant impact on their business long term. What are your thoughts? I think that's such an interesting point about these CEOs thinking they're gods, because we did say that with Elizabeth Holmes. Every investor was kissing her ass, calling her a revolutionary. She was so unique. She's such a wonderful person. And then the staff, too, were so excited to work with her, and they idolized her. So that's, I would say, like very unhealthy. I can't imagine. Of course, you want to respect who you work for, but to view them like that is kind of, I don't know, bizarre to me. It's so strange too that, I don't know, you'd think that these people would have some common sense. And I guess that's just not how Silicon Valley and like this investment stuff kind of works. You're just looking for kind of like a get rich quick scheme almost with these people. Who do you believe in the most? Who do you think can make you the most money? We'll ask questions later. Maybe as someone that's not a rich millionaire, billionaire, that's I don't want to, you know, just throw my money around like that. I'm very grateful I don't work in this industry and I would could never imagine myself working in this industry. It just sounds so stressful and not anything I'm interested in. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I also find it so weird that the way these people throw their money around is that they are willing to part with millions of dollars and not even know really what they're investing in, right? Like, how can you give over all that money and have no idea if it's actually going to work, how it works? Nothing like that. And I do think that not only is it a thing of, you know, protecting your IP, I think that it's also trying to make sure that whistleblowers can't come forward. You're making it so that not only do people not fully understand their jobs, but if something is going wrong, they don't have the information they need to speak out about it. Yeah, it's all a recipe for disaster. We wanted to take a quick look at three other startup frauds and scandals over the past like 30-ish years. So the first is Mozito. Founded in 2008 by Michael Liberty, Mozito was a mobile commerce and payment system similar to Apple Pay. The company hoped to develop white-labeled financial products for the 2 billion quote-unquote unbanked people around the world who can access mobile technology but lack a traditional bank account. Mozito had ambitious plans to revolutionize mobile payments in key markets, including India, Africa, and Southeast Asia. The company grew quickly and raised $400 million from investors, including MasterCard. This was more than any other mobile payment company had received at the time. In 2014, it was valued at $2.3 billion. 
in 2018, the SEC indicted Mozito's founder, Michael Liberty, on charges of fraud, claiming he had defrauded 200 investors, from which he raised $55 million. Liberty was accused of using a number of shell companies established between 2010 and 2017 to divert funds from investors to his personal accounts. Liberty was also accused of using funds to support his other business ventures, pay for interior decoration services for his ex-wife, and pay a discouragement penalty levied against another of Liberty's investment schemes by the SEC's office in Philadelphia. Mozito was even called the financial industry's Theranos. Liberty pled not guilty to 10 separate federal fraud charges in March 2019 and could have faced up to 20 years in prison. He was sentenced to four months in prison and fined $100,000. In January 2021, Liberty was pardoned by former President Donald Trump. Trump cited Liberty's seven children and numerous philanthropic efforts as reasoning for the pardons. However, the pardon doesn't cover civil cases, which means a lawsuit filed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, in 2018 against Liberty and others can likely move forward. Movito eventually changed their name to Fintiv, and in December 2018, a lawsuit against Apple claiming they had infringed on a patent for a mobile wallet management system came about. The next example is that of Hampton Creek. Hampton Creek was an environmentally conscious food products manufacturer best known for its dairy-free mayonnaise called Just Mayo that was sold at Kroger Safeway, and Walmart, among other retailers across the United States. Series C investors contributed $90 million in funding based on Just Mayo's strong sales and positive feedback. In 2016, Hampton Creek was accused of falsifying sales data after reports surfaced that they had employed a network of independent contractors who were instructed to secretly buy back Hampton Creek products from supermarkets across the United States. At the center of the controversy was Just Mayo. The company instructed its contractors to buy back hundreds of jars of Just Mayo from supermarkets nationwide, creating the perception that the product was significantly more popular than it actually was. In addition, contractors were allegedly instructed to contact regional supermarkets by phone to inquire about Hampton Creek products to further create the illusion of strong consumer support for the new product lines. Hampton Creek CEO George Tetrick later claimed the buyback campaign was part of a broader effort to monitor product quality. However, few people were convinced by Tetrick's explanations, pointing out that most quality insurance processes for most food products are conducted before the product leaves the factory. The SEC and the Department of Justice conducted an investigation, but couldn't find significant evidence despite a Bloomberg article outlining the case and dismissed the allegations in 2017. There have also been allegations of poor ethics and misused science, according to former employees. That same year, Hampton Creek formally rebranded to Eat Just and continues to sell its range of vegan dairy substitutes, including Just Egg, at retailers nationwide. 
And the last case we'll look at is Pseudo.com. Pseudo.com was a webcasting and internet TV website founded by Josh Harris in the 1990s. Long before live streaming became commonplace, Pseudo pioneered real-time webcasting from its studio offices in New York City. Pseudo broadcasted 10 hours a day of web-based interactive programming and targeted a young male audience. Harris correctly predicted everything from user-generated content to the phenomenon of regular people sharing the most intimate details of their lives via online video and leveraged both in his webcasting endeavor. Harris was often called a modern-day Andy Warhol. He also invited actors, musicians, artists, and performers to produce content for Pseudo, and Pseudo's parties soon became legendary in Soho and beyond. From 1999 to the spring of 2000, the company raked in over $30 million in financing. Despite Pseudo's genuine innovation, the company shut down in September 2000 after running out of funds. However, in 2008, Harris admitted that Pseudo had been a fake company from the very start. According to him, Pseudo was, quote, the linchpin of a long-form piece of performance art, end quote. Not everyone associated with Pseudo agrees with Harris's depiction of the company as nothing more than a years-long performance art project. Stephanie Bergman, who claimed to be a former Pseudo employee, disputed Harris's version of events in a blog post detailing her experiences working at the startup. Bergman claimed that executive mismanagement, not the site itself, was to blame for Pseudo's failure. She cited the lack of a clearly defined business model, chronic overspending on frivolous luxuries, and an extremely permissive culture of limitless personal expense accounts as contributing factors in Pseudo's eventual downfall. The majority of Pseudo's assets were liquidated in 2000, with remnants of Harris's company being acquired by New York-based internet company INTV for $2 million. Dell, any thoughts on these three stories? I think these just illustrate even more how how nefarious people can be and how susceptible Silicon Valley and other investors are to frauds. I think that it goes back to the old saying of like, if someone is promising you the world, don't believe them, right? Because they likely can't actually produce what they're saying that they can produce. When it comes to the first case, it's definitely a situation where the technology exists now, so we know that it was possible. But you had a founder who didn't really care for the business to grow. He just wanted to have a better lifestyle. I think that it's gross that he was pardoned. The fact that he has kids and did charity doesn't take away from the fact that he was a scammer and a fraudster. And so I think that there was likely some other political reasons why he was pardoned, because the reason that was cited doesn't make any sense to me. I do hope that he is hit heavy by lawsuits and that there's some type of reimbursements that the victims received. I actually remember Hampton Creek, and obviously I'm familiar with the Just Egg product. I personally don't like it, but 
I wasn't familiar with the fact that they had a nefarious past and that they were lying about their products. I think it's one of those cases where you should just let your company grow organically so that you can be successful. But when you try to rush things, you often end up in a situation where you are falsifying information and getting people to contribute almost $100 million to something that is likely not worth close to that. I had never heard of pseudo.com. I think it's really interesting that what it was providing was something that is very commonplace now. And had it not been either performance art or whatever the heck it actually was, I think it's a website that likely could have been really successful if it had the right leadership in place. What are your thoughts on them? I agree with a lot of what you said. I hadn't heard of Mozito or Pseudo.com. Michael Liberty does seem gross, and there were definitely like political reasons behind this pardoning. He's from somewhere in New England, and he's like caused a stir wherever he's from. He's like not a well liked person, and not to say he should go to jail for that, but I think he has like broken other laws by doing stuff up there. I think he was like um like a real estate guy, and there was like issues with that. I did think it was kind of funny that he was pardoned, but he doesn't deserve it. And I'm interested to see where these civil cases will go because I didn't see anything. And he also sounds like a kind of like a lifetime scammer. So there are some people that are just like that. Hampton Creek, I had no idea was Hampton Creek. I was also familiar with Just Egg and Eat Just. I also don't really like the Just Egg bottle. The egg bites, I think, are all right if anyone is interested. But this was like kind of entertaining and amusing to me. They thought they would get away with like buying back the products. In what world? So ridiculous. And then pseudo.com seems like pretty entertaining. The webs, you can look up pseudo.com and things are still on it. I don't know if it's like a recreation or if it's the original website or what, but it's still up there. Definitely looks like it was targeting a young male audience, like we said, I'll say that. I kind of doubt it was performance art. I feel like what this former employee said is probably true about just like constant spending and no oversight or like management plan. That seems more realistic to me because like you said, Del, like it seems like it really could have been around a while. I mean, it sounds like YouTube really, you know, YouTube before we had YouTube. So that's, it's interesting to see, you know, looking back and what a heyday. It just was around for like a year. And I don't know, I guess it left a pretty big impact still. Interesting. I found all three of these kind of entertaining. That wraps up this week's case. Thank you for listening. Let us know in the comments what you think about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. You can read more about this case and how to support us in the links below. We will be back next week with a brand new episode. As always, stay safe.